Great singing tonight, great, great hymns tonight. If you'd open your Bibles to Micah chapter 5, we're going to be looking at the first four verses in Micah chapter 5 tonight as we come to one of the great chapters in the book of Micah. Starting at verse 1, now, now muster yourselves in troops, daughters of troops. They've laid siege against us with a rod. They will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has borne a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your people who are here tonight. We pray that you would use your word to speak to our hearts, Lord, and we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you don't have to be much of a rocket scientist to realize we're certainly living in godless times. Just as it was in Micah's time, we have, in many instances, examples of political and religious leadership that doesn't seem to be very focused on the Word of God. They don't seem to be very focused on leading the nation into the right ways of God. In fact, they're leading the nation, in my opinion, in light of Micah, into the judgment of God by promoting and sanctioning things that God says are abominable. I mean, I could never imagine that in this country there would be leadership that would allow and promote Satan worship or abortion or transgender stuff, drugs. I mean, we're just seeing that escalate now, just to make more and more drugs legal so that people of this country can get on more and more stuff. Now, we do get to vote, but quite honestly, it doesn't appear that any election is going to change a lot. In fact, we keep hearing about elections being rigged so that we don't really know for sure if we vote for a person, if they're even going to get in, and we don't know if we vote for somebody who would perhaps turn the nation back to God. We can't be certain the outcome's even going to be honest. So, who do we turn to for help in this? Where do we look? Who do we actually look for who can intervene and actually do something about this? Who do we look for that can destroy evil and raise up godly people and put godly people in right positions? There's only one person I know that can do that. There's only one person who can do that, and that one person is Jesus Christ. And quite honestly, that's the one we need to be looking to. That's the one we need to be looking for. We need to be looking for him to intervene. It will not be the United Nations that will cause the nations to hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. It's going to be Jesus Christ who's going to do that. And that is what Micah wanted people to do, and that is what God wanted people to know. God wants his people knowing how to cope in a godless world by keeping their focus on the fact that one born in Bethlehem will come back And in anger and wrath, pour out God's vengeance on an evil, satanic, godless world. Now, Bethlehem was a well-known place in Old Testament times. It was the place of Rachel's death and burial. 
who was Jacob's wife. It was the place of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. We saw that when we went through the book of Ruth. It was the place of David's birth. It was the place where David was anointed king by Samuel. It was a place that was actually given the title, the city of David. It was a place where Rehoboam built it into a fortified city. And that is a place that's going to become very significant. God wants his people looking for one coming out of that place right there. When they see a nation that's going AWOL from the things of God, he wants their focus to be on that one coming out of Bethlehem. And I want you to notice how verse 1 begins with that word now. That is a time adverb in this case. And what God is actually saying here is, I want you right now, when you see your world falling apart, when you see your world being led by political and religious leaders who are taking the nation just the opposite of what God wants you to do, this is what I want you to do and think about right now. And quite honestly, there are four realities that God wants his people to think about. Reality number one, they need to gather together because they're being attacked by an enemy. Verse one, now muster yourselves in troops, daughter of troops. They've laid siege against us with a rod they will smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. Leaders, we've learned earlier in this book, were responsible, political and religious leaders were responsible for actually making war against God's people and even against God himself. And so as a result of that, God is going to hold these leaders very accountable and very responsible. In fact, I think we can build a strong case. If you happen to be a government leader or a religious leader and you lead people away from God, he will specifically target you, target you individually. This is what this book of Micah says. And he will come after you and he's going to knock you down and destroy you. Now, for a while, the godless world and its leaders are going to be able to slap God's people in the face. They slap God in the face. They slap the word of God in the face. They slap God's people in the face. Why? Because that's what basically God's people, Israel, had done to God. God had revealed his word to them. He had told them his will. The prophet Micah would go and tell them what they should do. They didn't pay any attention to him. And God said, fine, you've been slapping me in the face, so I'm going to let them slap you in the face. And in times of trouble and attack in this world, what God says you're going to need to do, and I think he's referring here to that remnant that he referred to back in chapter 4 and verse 7, that remnant of godly people. You need to muster yourselves together, band together around the word of God and the truth of God. In fact, that's an interesting word, muster. It's gadad in Hebrew, which means not only gather yourself or muster yourself, but cut yourself off. That's really in the meaning of that word. What I understand God to be saying is, when you see a world and nation that's going just the opposite of me, you need to cut yourself off from those God mockers and those people in the direction they're going. So what I understand this to mean is when God's people see themselves surrounded by a bunch of godless stuff, and they see themselves surrounded by godless powers and godless leaders, they're to set themselves apart from it and protect themselves by putting up these protective hedges around them. And the remnant of people that are in a right relationship with God must keep that as their focus. They must keep their focus on the fact that we aren't going to go their direction. We need to muster ourselves together and walk in the ways of the Lord. Now the text Micah uses here, he says, he refers to these people as daughter of troops, which means, frankly, God's family been in a warfare. 
That's what they were in. They were in a warfare, literally, physically. It was true in Jerusalem. It was true for Israel. And quite honestly, it's true for us. The text says what God's going to let them do is he's going to, with a rod, and that's a disciplinary tool, with a rod, he's going to let people smite the judge on the cheek. Now, there's been some discussion as who the judge is here. If we put it in a context of the political world of Israel and Judah, the final king that was smitten by Babylon would have been Zedekiah. He certainly was smitten and he was hauled to Babylon. They put out his eyes. We went over that when we studied the history of Israel. But the text says that he will allow the enemies to smite the judge on the cheek. And the word for judge is not the same as the word ruler that will ever be out here. So whoever is going to be the judge over Israel would be hit until the ruler comes to take over the world. Those people in positions of power are going to be hit. Those people who've been leading people in a wrong way are going to be hit by the Lord. It's a disciplinary word, a rod. I'm going to bring a rod against them. I'm going to let them, as it were, slap my people in the face and slap the judge in the face. And certainly, there's application here with what happened to Jesus Christ. I mean, the Lord Jesus Christ is the judge. And when he came, he was taking the full brunt of the whole wrath of God for our sins. And when the Lord Jesus Christ was here, literally, they punched him in the face. And so he said, that's what's going to happen. With rod, they're going to smite the judge of Israel on the cheek. And that's exactly what they did to the Lord Jesus Christ. God says, I want you to know, when you're my people... Life is not going to be millennial bliss for you here in this world. In fact, I'm going to personally, at times, discipline my own. I'm personally going to allow my people to be slapped in the face because what they have done, basically, is they have followed godless leaders and godless leadership, and they've walked right away from me, my truth, and my word. So they'll be smitten. They'll make things difficult for you. It's not going to be a happy world for you. They're going to slap you and hurt you. They're not going to destroy you completely. So what he says for his people that are the remnant is, you need to muster strength together and band together. And one of the applications I certainly think that we can make to this particular admonition is in this church age, we need to keep our focus right where it is here. No matter what's going on in the world, no matter what you are hearing on the news, we need to keep our focus on God and his word because there's strength in that, there's courage in that, there's power in that, and that's where God wants our focus to be. So while we are separated from the evils and the corruption and we're focused on the things of God, we need to keep our sights on the Lord Jesus Christ who will come and one day settle the score. So there's reality number one. You need to band together when you're under attack. Secondly, God's people need to keep looking for one from Bethlehem to come and take over the world. Verse 2, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah from you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. As we've already seen in this book, Israel was being governed by godless political and religious power-crazed Losers who were the leaders. Those people that were dominating the world back then were greedy and they were immoral. They could care less about the word of God. They could care less what they promoted. They could care less if they led God's people right into judgment. 
As we saw in previous texts, they made deals for themselves in their high offices that would make them rich. They took bribe money. They perverted justice. They weren't interested in truth. These were guys that were running the nation. God says to his own people, don't keep looking at them. You keep looking at them, you'll end up depressed. Don't keep looking at them. What you need to be looking for is the one to come whom I will send who will destroy them. And what you need to be looking for is that one who's going to come from Bethlehem. And by the way, this is a remarkable, remarkable prediction. G. Campbell Morgan said, Micah leaks out a great secret here when he says, you look for the one that's going to come out of Bethlehem because he's the one who's going to come back and right the wrongs. And by the way, I want you to notice the personal pronoun me that's used there. This one will go forth for me. God says, this is my private personal ambassador. This is what God is saying. He's going to go forth from me, and I'm sending him there. I'm sending him to the world. That's the one that's going to take over the world. Now, many years ago, one of the old Bible teachers said, and I'm going to paraphrase what he said, the prophet Isaiah predicted a virgin birth, but the prophet Micah predicted a village birth. And there are three important facts that are brought out in this verse about the one who will ultimately come and right the ship. The first fact is he'll come from Bethlehem in Ephrathah. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Now you have two Bethlehems in the Old Testament. You have this one, and then I want you to back up to Joshua chapter 19. If you'd go back to Joshua chapter 19 for a moment, I want to show you another Bethlehem in the Old Testament. In Joshua chapter 19, when the territories of land were being distributed among the nation Israel, way up in the northern part of the land was the tribe of Zebulun. They were given territory up in the northern part of the land of Israel when they were dividing the land. If you notice in Joshua 19 and verse 15, as there's a list of places that were given to them, we read included in the valley were Katah, and Nahalah, and Shimron, and Idalah, and Bethlehem, 12 cities with their villages. Now that Bethlehem that's mentioned there in Joshua 19 and verse 15 is about 80 miles north of the Bethlehem that's mentioned here in Micah 5 too. This is Bethlehem Ephrathah that is located south of Jerusalem, just a few miles, and the Bethlehem in Zebulun is 80 miles to the north of that. So Micah makes this amazing prediction, and he predicts there's going to come one that you can look for, and you keep looking for him. This is the one who will come back, and he's going to be coming out of that city, Bethlehem Ephrathah, and Ephrathah was like a district in the location of Bethlehem. It'd be like saying we're in Texas Township in Portage, or like we're in Texas Corners in Kalamazoo County. I mean, that's what it means. Ephrathah was like part of Bethlehem. And God could just have said, he'll come out of Bethlehem and leave it at that. He goes, oh no, I'll tell you exactly where he's coming from. The one you want to look for will come out of Bethlehem, Ephrathah. That's the one. That's the one who will come, who will be the king ruler. He'll be born there. So the first fact we learn is he's going to come from Bethlehem in Ephrathah. Secondly, Bethlehem is little. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. We're going to sing that tonight as we conclude this service, Little Town of Bethlehem. It's accurate. It was a little town. Bethlehem was a small, insignificant place. God says, 
You're little among the clans of Judah, so you're just a little village among thousands of villages that existed. From this seemingly insignificant place would come the one who can take over the world that'll stamp out evil. That's where you need to keep your sights when you see you're living in a nation being dominated by godless political leaders and religious leaders. You keep looking for one that came out of that city. And what's so interesting is that today, this little village is revered by millions and millions of people. That little village of Bethlehem, five to six miles from Jerusalem, is one of the most sacred places on the face of the earth, because that was the place, of course, where Jesus Christ was born. Now, the third fact is, Bethlehem will be the originating birthplace of the ruler of Israel. One will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. Now, Micah, I'm going to put this in some perspective as to what he's doing here. This will show you the amazing sovereignty of God. Micah is writing this prophetic prediction somewhere around 730 B.C. So he is predicting this is where this God-King ruler who's existed from all eternity is going to be born well over 700 years before he would be born. It's an amazing prediction. Micah is predicting that the ruler over the whole world that will eventually come that you want to keep your focus on, band together and keep your focus on this one coming, is going to be born in this Bethlehem Ephrathah, this small little town. That's where he's going to be born. Now to put in some perspective how amazing this prediction is, America was discovered in 1492 by Columbus. So if you add 730 years to 1492, you come up with 2222. So let's subtract 300 years. Let's cut that in half about. And let's go back to 1922. Can you imagine predicting in 1492 the president of the United States will be born in Blooming Grove, Ohio, 300 years before he was born? That shows you how incredible the word of God is. The president was William Harding. And in 1492, it would be 300 years before he would become president. So you think about this. Micah is eliminating every other city in the world as a possibility of looking for one to come who would be the savior and the king, who would be the ruler. The one that will rule will be born in Bethlehem. That's the one who can destroy and will destroy the godless political and religious leaders of the world. So when you go through a national deterioration that you see continually taking place, keep your focus on that one from Bethlehem. That's what Mike is telling these people. Band together, as it were, muster yourselves together. Cut yourself off from the naysayers. Cut yourself off and just keep your focus on that one coming from Bethlehem. And we may recall that when Herod asked the scribes and the chief priest, where is this king supposed to be born they answered, Bethlehem. He'll be the ruler. You keep your focus on there. You keep your focus on him. Now, there are two ruler realities that he brings out. First of all, the ruler of Israel is God's ruler. He makes that statement there. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. So don't overlook that. This is going to be God's ruler. This isn't the ruler of the Democratic Party. This is not the ruler of the Republican Party. I'm telling you, no Republican Party or Democrat Party can do this. 
Only this ruler can do this. This will be God's appointed ruler. This will be God's appointed political leader. And the word ruler is Moshel. It refers to one who is going to actually take over and rule the world. It'll be a theocracy, not a democracy. In other words, Jesus Christ will rule and reign. It won't be the people ruling and reign. Now, it's interesting that this same word Moshel, which is the word for ruler, is used in Deuteronomy in which God says to his people, you're going to share in that. You're going to share in the reign and ruler when the Lord Jesus Christ reigns. But God says, I want you to understand, this is my ruler coming out of Bethlehem. He'll be the one that will take over the world. The second reality is the ruler of Israel is God's ruler from all eternity. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. This ruler is not a normal ruler. This is a divine ruler. All of his activities, all of his plans, all of his goings forth, they've been in eternity. The fact that he would be born in Bethlehem was long before Micah revealed it. And this ruler, as we saw in Revelation, is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the creator. He was the one who lived way before his birth. He was the one involved in creation. I mean, Mary had a little lamb, but he lived way before he was born. And Jesus Christ was involved in all kinds of divine work of old, such as creation. He was involved in the garden with Adam and Eve and all that took place there. He was appearing in the Old Testament in Theophanies where he would appear as an angel of the Lord very often. And he appeared prior to his incarnation as the angel of the Lord. So he's been around for a long time. God says, you need to keep your sights on this one because I'm going to have this one be born in Bethlehem. And that's the one who's going to come and turn this world around. That's the one that you need to muster together and keep your sights on. Dr. C.I. Schofield said the child was born in Bethlehem, but the son was from everlasting. Now this Bible makes some amazing predictions, and one of the great evidences that the Bible is the inspired word of God are the predictions and the fulfillments of the predictions. I mean, there is no other book in the world that could pick little Bethlehem Ephrathah as being the place where he would be born. Just some of the predictions, Micah predicted that he would be born in Bethlehem, and certainly in Micah 5.2, that's exactly what he said. If you want to write the reference down that proves he was born in Bethlehem, write down Matthew 2.1 and 3-6. Matthew 2.1 and verses 3-6. Isaiah predicted he would be born of a virgin in Isaiah 7.14. If you want to write down a verse that verifies that, Luke 1.27. Zechariah predicted that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver in Zechariah chapter 11. If you want to write down a text that proves that, Matthew 26, 15. David predicted he would have his hands and feet pierced in Psalm 22. If you want to write down a text that verifies that, Luke 23, 33. And Isaiah predicts that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb in Isaiah 53. If you want to write down a text that verifies that, Matthew 27, 37. Micah does add one more that I think is predicted here, and that is, he will be raised. We'll talk about that in just a minute. He will be raised. Micah 5, 4. And if you want to write down references that refer to the resurrection, Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20. Someone calculated that the odds that these predictions could come true are one in quintillion. And to illustrate the point, and this guy mathematically figured it out, he said, you would have to take silver dollars, put a black mark X on one of them, cover the state of Texas two feet deep, 
in silver dollars and put a blindfold on a guy and say, let's see you go out there and pick that one coin. He said it would be impossible. That would be the odds of having just one of these predictions come true by chance. This isn't chance. This is God who's controlling the heavens and the earth. This is God who's controlling the crazy things political leaders and religious leaders are doing. This is Almighty God here. And he's basically saying, you keep your focus on that one who will come out of Bethlehem. It's significant. You have no record of anybody giving baby Jesus a baby shower. You know, most of the time when babies are born, people tape them baby-type things. You know, a teddy bear, or a rattle, or a blanket, a blankie. When babies are born, they usually have some type of shower that is thrown. You know what was given to him when he was born? The magi show up, and they give him worship. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. They don't give him baby-type things. Well, now, how did that happen? That a baby born in Bethlehem has these people show up from the east. He's not like a normal baby, not even given the normal things that babies are given, but he's given those things because he is God. At Christmas time, many people think of Jesus as just a baby to be viewed. He's a king to be reverenced. This is God's only begotten son who is the God, Savior, Messiah, King. He's to be worshipped and reverenced. And so what God is saying to his people here, what Mike is saying to his people, is you need, when you see a world falling apart, you're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at the wrong people. You need to get your sights on the Lord Jesus Christ. Which brings us to the third reality. God's people need to know that he's permitting these evil things to go on until all the brethren and sons of God are in the family. Verse 3, therefore... He will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child, then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. What I understand this verse to be saying is that Jesus Christ would be born in Bethlehem, but he's not going to initially and immediately take over the world. It'll be like his people are going through labor pains. It'll be like his people are going through labor pains. They're intense. They can be intense, but they do finally end. But the focal point of what is happening as all of this going on is God is gathering together the remainder of the brethren. In other words, what God is doing here is he is actually using the time that this is happening to pull in the people of God. That's what he's doing right now. I'm convinced we're in the final days of the church. I think we're in the final days of the church age, and I think what God is doing right now with the world falling apart, this nation falling apart, being led by God-mocking, Christ-rejecting, Bible-hating people, I think what's happening is more and more people are going to turn to the Lord and turn to the Word of God. I think he's just corralling the brethren, and when he's finally corralled the number of brethren that are being the family of God, we'll be gone. We'll be caught up in the air to meet the Lord in the air. What Micah is predicting is Mary would give birth to Jesus, but he's not going to instantly take things over. He'll be born in Bethlehem. That's who you want to look for. But there's going to be a work that's going to take place that will gather up the sons of God and also the sons of Israel. He'll regather them, and he ultimately will bring them to a great kingdom. The fourth reality is God's people need to know that his king will arise and rule and reign. Verse 4 And he will arise, or stand, and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain. Because at that time, he will be great 
to the ends of the earth. There are four important prophetic facts we learn here about Jesus Christ. First of all, he's going to arise, and I think that has ramifications to the fact that he would be resurrected, but I also think he would stand and reign over his people. Both of those things are involved in that. He'll arise. Secondly, he will shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. Man, I wish we had leaders that do that. Shepherd the nation in the strength of the Lord. Look to the word of God to lead the nation. What a nation it would be. That's what this shepherd will do. Then he will return. The text says at that time, they will remain because at that time he will be great. Now that indicates to us that there's going to be a time where he'll be born in Bethlehem. And then there's going to be another time called at that time that he's going to come back and he's going to reign. His people will remain. His people will be here. His people need to keep looking for him because he will return and he will reign. And finally, he'll be great worldwide. At that time, he will be great to the ends of the earth. He will have respect. He will have royalty. He will have majesty. There are five specific applications we observe as we live in a corrupt world, five that we can observe as we look at a world that's falling apart, being led by people that don't seem to give a hoot about the word of God and what it says. They don't seem to care what the scriptures warn. They don't seem to care that they're going to be judged of God. Micah's living in that same kind of day, just that same kind of day. Nothing's new here under the sun. He saw that too. And there are just five great principles to keep in mind when we see these kinds of things. Number one, Jesus Christ will eventually shepherd his people in the strength of the Lord. Christ is going to come back in the full strength and in the full power of God. He's looking out for his flock now. He's watching over that flock that's gathering themselves together to stay focused on him. He watches them. He protects them. But there's coming a day when he'll shepherd everything. Secondly, Jesus Christ will shepherd in his majesty in the name of the Lord his God. I mean, it will come back and he will be majestic God. He's not going to be looking like a little babe in a Bethlehem anymore or like an average looking Jewish guy. When he comes back, he's going to come back in the full majesty of God. Thirdly, the people will remain. Evil people will be gone. His people will remain. That's what he says. And they will remain in verse 4. The shepherd will be there. He'll be watching over them, promoting them, protecting them. They'll reign. His people will reign. Many different passages, God promises that his people will reign. And finally, he will be great to the ends of the earth. When we see a world being governed by evil and corrupt leaders, don't look to the news. Don't do it. Look to God's word. Look to the promises of God. Look, Jesus Christ is our hope, not our elections. Our elections aren't going to solve it. Jesus Christ is our hope, not our political religious leaders. They're not going to solve it either. Jesus Christ will. We're going to sing a song to wrap this up, as Brian will come in a minute, and it's a little town of Bethlehem. I want to tell an interesting story about that. There was a Pulitzer Prize-winning historian whose name was David McCullough, and in 2010, David McCullough published a book called In the Dark Streets Shineth, a 1941 Christmas Eve Story. In the Dark Streets Shineth. 
In the book, McCullough tells how Franklin Roosevelt and Winston Churchill went to a Christmas Eve worship service. And at that Christmas Eve worship service, they heard for the first time the song we're going to sing, A Little Town of Bethlehem. That hymn was written by Phillips Brooks in 1868. He pastored a church in Philadelphia, an Anglican church. And according to McCullough in his book, he said that they sang the song lustily, not exactly in tune, but they loved it. They loved the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And Franklin Delano Roosevelt and Winston Churchill sang it loudly. Most people know that song. What most people don't know is Jesus Christ. Most people know about a little town in Bethlehem. Micah told him that. He'll come from Bethlehem. When he came, he came to his own. His own didn't receive him. So it's one thing to know facts about who and where and what. It's another thing to know him. And as you see this world getting more and more dark and depraved, You keep your focus on your relationship with him because that's the key to succeeding. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your precious word. Thank you for your people who have come out to partake of it. It's a troubled world we're in. There's no question about that. We're seeing things today take place we would have never believed 30 years ago, 40 years ago. We just would have never believed it. But we are grateful, Lord, that we don't have to look to the news or to the world for our hope. We look to the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray you come get us soon. In Jesus' name, amen.